we give you the highest praise, God. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time of worship, God. Lord, you are worthy of our praise. God, you are Lord. You are creator. You're the one who is holy and righteous. You know all things, God. You're full of all wisdom and power, Lord, and your love and grace, God. Your mercy, Lord. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You're the coming one. And Jesus, you're our Lord, and you are our Savior. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the cross, God. Lord, you're worthy of it all, Lord. God, I ask that as we open your word right now, that you would bless your word, God, that your spirit would be here and anoint this time, and that you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, if you can grab your Bibles and open them up to 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to continue our study here in this book. 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to get right into our study today. Uh, what a wonderful time of worship it's been. Welcome, you guys, and uh, aloha to you guys online, too. And I'm just so blessed to be able to be here, and I uh, hope that you are, too. And already God is ministering. Already God is moving upon our hearts. And so, Second uh, Peter chapter 3, this morning we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 13, just four verses as we continue our way in this book. I'm looking at probably next week finishing this book, so hopefully we'll end up uh, finishing this book and then go on to another book, which I will let you know later. Well, with all the events that are going on in this world today, what does the future hold? What does the future hold? I mean, I, I know foremost in our minds is what's going on with Israel and the war with Hamas. And, and oh, you know, I was, I was reading this this morning. I wanted to uh, kind of share, like, um, it's kind of amazing how uh, the Iranian foreign minister, Hossein Amir Abdullahian, has said, Iran, Iran does not want further escalation, but warned that if Israel's attacks continue to kill civil, civilians in Gaza, its quote-unquote axis of resistance will open new fronts in the war and could take quote-unquote preemptive, preemptive action targeting Israel. So, Things are escalating, right? I mean, the U.S. has just recently announced yesterday that they sent uh, missile defense systems over there. And so, you know, with all that going on, we wonder, what, what, what does the future hold? What's, what's going to happen tomorrow? I mean, we worry about our climate. We worry about our economy. Even uh, for years I've been, you know, reading about, which is here now, is AI, right? Artificial Intelligence. So what does the future hold? Well, I, I came across some funny past predictions on the future that, well, it was so wrong. Because we really don't know exactly, but I thought this was interesting. Some funny past predictions. Like Ken Olson, founder of the Debt Corporation, said in 1977, there is no reason why anyone would want a computer in their home. Funny, huh? What do we have today? In 1962, Decca Recording Company turned down the Beatles saying, we don't like their sound and guitar music is on the way out. In 1998, Time Magazine said, remote shopping, while entirely feasible, will flop because, listen to this, women like to get out of the house, like to handle merchandise, like to be able to change their minds. <laughs> Yeah, and look at our online, you know, mar markets now, Amazon and everything. I thought this was interesting. There was many scoffers, you can say, when the iPhone first launched in 2007. Uh, the company TechCrunch reported the iPhone will bomb. It's full of bugs and has limited battery life. Editors of Market Watch said the phones will go in and out of style real fast, and be out of date within three months. 
This was when it first came out in 2007. Bloomberg said, the iPhone will only appeal to a few gadget freaks. And I think the most famous, the most famous was what the CEO of Microsoft, Steve Ballmer, said. He said at that time, there's no chance that the iPhone is going to get any significant market share. Today, the Apple has sold over 2.3 billion iPhones. Funny, huh? Did you know that just recently, too, um, uh, the, Apple has been the first company to be a $3 trillion company? Well, scoffers are silent, aren't they, from that day? Well, as we return here to our study in the book of Second Peter, scoffers, they've been putting down what? The second coming of Christ. We've been studying that in the past weeks. And Peter's been refuting them, and he's been showing that, you know what? What God said will come to pass. And many things already have come to pass. You know, I always go back to the thought of how there has been over 300 prophecies on the first coming of Jesus Christ. There's a, over a thousand prophecies on his second coming. Now, if the first 300 have been all fulfilled, what do you think is going to happen to the next thousands plus that we find in the Bible? It's going to come to pass, right? It's going to happen. What God said will come to pass. God certainly holds the future. He knows it. So he can prophesy it. He can say it. God holds the future. A. Willis J. Ray said, We know not what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. I love that. That's a great quote right there. So the title for our message this morning is this, What the Future Holds. What the future holds. As we come into Second Peter chapter 3 and look at verse 10 through 13, we're going to find out what God has in store for the future. What the future holds. And what does the future hold? Well, three things today. And we're going to get this from our passage. Number one, the day of the Lord. Number two, the day of God. And for me, number three, the day of righteousness. So those are the three things we're going to see in our passage today in what the future holds, what God has for the future. So let's begin here with number one, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. What the future holds, what is that? Well, number one, the day of the Lord. And for this, we're going to be just covering verse 10 in our passage verse 10. So let's take a look at that right now. It says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So we'll stop right there. Now we begin with Peter now, the apostle Peter, writing here in verse 10, just saying at first here, but the day of the Lord. Now, we're going to talk about what the day of the Lord is in a moment. But I want you to focus in on where Peter puts this connecting word, right? But, this conjunction here. And he's connecting the verses that were above that we studied last week. Verses 8 and 9. So, remember in the verses above that we learned that God's in this totally different time zone. His time clock is different. Uh, one day is a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. And we talked about that last week. And then, in answer to the scoffer saying, oh, why is God delaying? Why is Jesus delaying his return? You guys talk about it, but he hasn't been here. Well, also... Peter adds in verse 9 that the Lord is not slow to fulfill that promise, as some count slowness, but is patient, right? He's patient. He's, he's giving opportunity for those to come to Jesus Christ. And that's why the delay. That he's wishing that no one should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So God is being patient. Well, when we come to verse 10 now, Peter says, but, he says, but you know what? God's patience will come, will not last. God's patience will come to an 
end. And there'll come a time for God to bring justice and judgment to the world for their sins. So as we come into verse 10, he's saying, look, God's wanting everyone to be saved. God is desiring that. God wants people to make that choice for Jesus Christ, for atonement for their sins that Christ did on the cross. But you know what? There's going to be a time limit to that. God may be holding back the judgment now because when Christ returned, the judgment will come. And that's this whole premise we've been talking about in this passage. God may be holding back that judgment now, but it will not be forever. Remember these scoffers were mocking. Remember they're saying, well, where's Jesus? Where's the promise? You know, things are just going to keep going on. Well, it's not going to go on. It's been going on because of God's patience. God is having, he has been involved, right, in, in calam, uh, uh, calam, catastrophic ways, like in creation we saw, and in the flood, and then Peter talked about the future. Now he's getting back here uh, talking about the future. The scoffer's been coming, attacking emotionally. Where is he? Right? And remember, the readers here are going through much persecution, they're, they're, they're working emotionally. Where is he? He's not going to come. They've been working mentally and bringing doubt and discouragement to them. But Peter and his rebuttal has been saying all these things we study in the past few weeks. And Peter's been saying, look, yeah, uh, God's been patient here. God's been allowing these things because he wants more people to be saved. But you know what? The day of the Lord, it's coming and it's going to come. So, the delay in God's love and mercy being poured out, it's, it, that's what's going on right now. That's the delay. But it will not go on forever. Remember you mentioned the flood, right? How God intervened. Remember how the flood did not come for 120 years? But it did come, didn't it? There came a time when the flood and judgment on the world by water came. So, this is what... Peter is flowing into, but this judgment is going to come. You know, someone once told me that God is love. God is love, and you know, it's okay I do these things. He's, he, he's going to forgive me. He'll, he'll give me love. He'll, he'll give me grace. And, and it's more like, well, I, I can live the way I want. I could do whatever I want because God is love. And, and it's like you're saying, oh, he'll look the other way because, you know, he loves Everybody. But we must understand that God's love is only one part of his character, right? We know that God is all-powerful. He's the creator. We know God in his character. He knows all things. He has all wisdom. He's omnipresent. He could be everywhere at once. He's eternal. We know his, his attributes in that way. We know he's sovereign in control. We know God is love also. We know that. But you know what? God is also holy. God is also righteous. God is also just. Like, like a, 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 a just judge not, will not turn away from injustice done. Well, think about God. God is pure in that way. So he will not allow sin and the world's rebellion to keep going on. So like in the time of Noah, the Lord said in Genesis 6, 3, he says, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. Well, that's the same idea here. When we come into verse 10 and Peter says, but the day of the Lord, you know what? It's going to come. God has to bring that justice. God has to bring that judgment. So Peter's like, look, the, the day of the Lord has to come and it will come. So what is the day of the Lord? Well, here's the first thing I want you to see. We're going to see three things in this verse. Number one is the day of the Lord is when God's judgment falls. That's what the day of the Lord is talking about. The day of the Lord is that day of judgment. It's that time spoken of uh, in the prophecies when it's the end of the world as we know it. It, it, It's when God acts in climactic judgment. I like to use that word, climactic judgment. 
It's going to be a huge thing. It's not just a little thing. It's like the flood. It's like you was talking about the fire earlier. This is what we're talking about. The day of the Lord where there's devastation, destruction from that fire of judgment of sin. Where judgment falls on the world. It's what the Old prophets, Old Testament prophets said. It's what the New Testament writers wrote. You know, in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord is uh, written 19 times. In the New Testament, we find it five times. It's what Jesus described in Matthew chapter 24, 29. Immediately after or in the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. This is the day of the Lord. So number one, understand the day of the Lord is when judgment falls and that's the future. That's what's coming to this world. God will not always strive with man, with human beings forever. So, first of all, the day of the Lord is when judgment falls. Then number two in this verse, I want you to see this. The day of the Lord will come unexpectedly. The day of the Lord will come unexpectedly. Take a look at verse 10. Again, Peter writes, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And that means this judgment will fall upon the world in, in, in a surprise. This world will not expect it. This world will be unprepared. It will come without notice the judgment will fall to them. It will come in a way that the world will be caught off guard. Paul wrote about in 1 Thessalonians 5.2 that the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Jesus said that when you don't know it, when you don't expect it, the Son of Man will return. No one knows that day and hour, so it's going to be like a thief in the night. So the day of the Lord, the judgment that falls on the world, will take the unbelieving world by surprise. They will be unprepared spiritually for the judgment to fall. You know, I was thinking that perhaps uh, Peter hears the voice of Jesus when he said, Know this, if the master of the house knew what hour the thief would come, then they would watch and not allow the thief to break in. Matthew 24, 43. And the message Jesus was putting out there was the world will not be spiritually prepared. If, if they were prepared, it wouldn't be a surprise. But when judgment falls, the world will have to face justice for their sins. So the day of the Lord here is when God's judgment falls. The day of the Lord will come unexpectedly and then number three, the third thing here in this verse is the day of the Lord will be totally catastrophic. Totally catastrophic. And this is what Peter goes on to describe in this time of judgment in verse 10. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. So when, when the writers in the ancient times talk about the heavens, they're talking about like the sky, the atmosphere, and even the universe. That was like their, their word for it. The earth is our earth, our planet here. So they're saying here the heavens, Peter's saying in a prophecy, that the heavens will pass away with the roar. It's, it's going to be this loud, explosive noise. That's what he's saying. Talk about Big Bang. This is going to be the Big Bang right here. It's going to happen when God brings judgment. And so the heavens will pass away with the roar and the heavenly bodies, or probably better translated here would be elements, will be all burned up and dissolved. It will come all the way down to the very elements, the makeup of our material universe that's going to be all burned. That's all going to disappear, dissolve. It's all going to be, be all, all, all destroyed in this way. And disintegrate, I think, is a better word here. And dissolve, and the heavenly, uh, I'm sorry, and uh, the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Exposed is like it will be turned inside out. 
everything on the earth, all the works, all of creation, all of, all of man, civilization, man's buildings. The, think about the seven wonders of the world, you know, the Great Wall of China or all the other things. Is Grand Canyon maybe one of those? I forget. But, you know, all, all those things are going to be all burned up, dissolved, disintegrated, gone. All consumed with God's judgment, the fire of judgment will burn and dissolve this universe as we know it. Isaiah talks about this. Isaiah 34, 4, the sky is going to roll up like a scroll. Stars will fall like figs from fig tree. Joel 3, 15 says the sun and moon will go dark, just as Jesus just said. Micah 1, 4 says the mountains will melt and the valleys will split. God's judgment will fall upon this world as we know it, the whole universe as we know it, and it's going to be dissolved, burned up. This is the fire that was spoken about earlier in Peter when he said, you know what, uh, how God intervened, God was, did some uh, cataclysmic things, and that was creation, and then the flood. But next time it's going to be the fire, this is it right here. And understand something here. This does not describe some man-made catastrophe. It does not describe some man-caused catastrophe. This is God doing it. This is God's word. This is God's power doing it. And, and the scripture is very clear about that. This is not some nuclear bomb. This is not the result of climate change. It's not the, the result of, of, a, of a hole in the ozone layer, the failure of the ozone layer, because, you know, people use too much hairspray and, and body deodorant. So it's not that at all. But I'm glad you use deodorant. Okay, I'm okay with that. This catastrophic fire comes by the act of God. That's what it is. Now, I mentioned this before, but you remember how scientists don't know exactly how an atom can exist. All matter, everything is made up of molecules, and molecules are made up of atoms. And inside the atom is electrons with a, a, a core, electrons moving, orbiting this core, which is called the nucleus. And the nucleus has, has neutrons and protons. And what they can't figure out is how the protons, because light charges repel each other, are staying in there. And over the century, uh, scientists have called it different things, you know. Uh, but one of them is like atomic glue. That's what it is. Well, what is it? Well, we believe it's God's hand. God holds those things, right? Colossians 1.17 is before all things and him and all things are hold together. They exist in that way. So I believe it's God who's holding the atom, the nucleus of the atom, together. I mean, what happened when they discovered you could split that atom, right? The nuclear bomb happened, right? Imagine if God just let go. Everything. I mean, everything. This fire, this explosion, everything, all matter. Everything will just burn up, dissolve, disintegrate. This is the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord will be totally catastrophic. And this is what Peter is describing here right now. Now you may be sitting there thinking, wait, wait, Pastor Rick. I thought that the day of the Lord is when Jesus returns at the end of the seven-year tribulation and he judges the world. You know, Satan put, is put in prison. Uh, Antichrist, everybody is incarcerated or, or, or thrown uh, in hell and everyone else goes and the world is judged and then we go on to the millennium. I thought that was the day of the Lord. Some even talk about Oh, during the tribulation, the wrath of God and judgment is falling. And a lot of catastrophic events are going on. Volcanoes and uh, land masses disappearing. A third of the earth, uh, of water, sea creatures dying. All those things on and on, right? And that's the wrath of God. I've taught that too. But, but is that the day of the Lord? Well, let me tell you. Yes. Yes. All of it. 
there's going to be three phases of this day of the Lord. And the first phase is during the tribulation years. That's what it's about. God's wrath is being poured out upon the world in judgment for their crime against him. And then at the end of the tribulation, after that seven years of tribulation, Christ will return, destroy uh, the, the armies and forces of the uh, Antichrist and all. And, and th- that's going to be the day of the Lord when Jesus sets his rule and reign on the earth. And then he sets up this millennium, a thousand years, right, of his reign on this restored earth. And then at the end of the millennium, remember we studied that Satan will be let loose for a while, deceive people again, and then God's going to come in, throw them in a lake of fire with all the other demon guys where they are, and Antichrist, and those who, who followed him, they'll be judged, and that will be the day of the Lord. And at the end of the millennium is when God will, I believe, let go, and what is described here, everything will be burned up, dissolved, and then God's going to make a new heaven and earth. So there's three phases to the day of the earth, a uh, day of the Lord, uh, during the tribulation, uh, uh, at the end of the tribulation, and at the end of the millennium when when that is finally completed. You might be saying, "Wait, doesn't it say day of the Lord? I mean, isn't there a thousand years even between Christ's uh, return at the end of the tribulation and the millennium?" It, it, but it says day. I say, yeah, that's right. It says day, but remember verse 8. A day is what? Like a thousand years to the Lord. A thousand years is like a day. So this is the future. The future holds the day of the Lord when that will come, when God's judgment falls, when it will come unexpectedly to a world that is not watching or thinking it will ever happen. The day of the Lord will be totally catastrophic. And there will be, there'll be, there'll be phases of this during the tribulation and when Christ returns and at the very end when everything is crumpled up and burned and a whole new heaven and earth is made. That's what's in the future. You know, back in the, I remember in the Jesus movement when I was saved at the end of that. And um, I remember guys would talk about things like, you know, you know, when like you get a new car and it gets all scratched up, someone dings you or shopping cart hits it and stuff. I remember people uh, talking about that. And, and, and they would say, no, you know, it's okay because we got to keep a loose grip on the things of this world. And that, then they would add, well, it's going to burn anyway, right? It's going to all burn anyway. Well, we do need to keep that loose grip on this world because the end is coming. The end of this world, as we know it, is going to come to an end. But God is going to make a whole new heaven and earth, and we're going to be talking about that in a moment. So what the future holds? The day of the Lord. But secondly, number two in our outline is this, the day of God, the day of God. We're going to look at verses 11 and 12 here in 2 Peter 3. Uh, matter of fact, let, let's go ahead and read that. It says, Since all these things, verse 11, are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolve, and the heavenly bodies are elements will melt as they burn we'll stop there now since this is what the future holds then you know what here's peter saying believers ought to be what god wants you to be i mean that's that's the gist of what he's saying for the day of god is in our future verse 12 well what is that in verse 12 where it says the coming of the day of god We just saw him write in the previous verse, the day of the Lord. What is the day of God? Well, there's three things I can give you here, too, in this section. Number one, the day of God is when the eternal realm begins. Let's define that first. The day of God is when the eternal realm 
begins. See, after the old fallen world and the old universe is dissolved in God, God creates this new world, this new realm, a new heaven and earth. And let me tell you, this new world is way different than before. It's way different from Genesis 1.1. What we're looking at here is going to be, be, be completely not like the old world. I mean, think about it right now. We, we live in this time-based world, right? We, we live with seconds and, and minutes and hours and days and weeks and months and years and, and, and decades and centuries that go on and on. Time just marches on. The clock keeps going on and on and on, right? Uh, but this new world, when the day of God arrives, it's when the eternal starts. It's the eternal realm. We're, we're going to be in this eternal state. This world is, will have an eternal state. This is where God will dwell with believers. Where, where God will actually uh, 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 be among us. We'll have our glorified bodies, which are eternal. And we'll be with the, the, the new Jerusalem, speaks of in Revelation, living with God. Peter mentions the same idea in a, a cinnamon, a cinnamon, cinnamon, Men, <laughs> cinnamon bread. Yeah. So in verse 18, look at verse 18. It says at the end, to him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. That's the same thing, the day of God. So think of it this way. After the day of the Lord, when the old heaven and earth are all burned up, then comes the day of God where this eternal realm, this eternal world is made, and that's where we end up. I mean, that's been our goal, right? That, that's where God wants to always have wanted to bring us into. That's, that's the ultimate right, goal of salvation, that we would live the eternal life, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but what? Have eternal life. That's where we're heading to. That's the future. That's going to be this whole new realm. Isaiah 65, 17 says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. I kind of like that. It's kind of like, it's going to be so amazing that, wow, what was it like back in that time-based world? I don't, I don't remember. This is so incredible, you know. It's like uh, there are certain, you know, events in my life that I was like, what was, what was that like again? Or, you know, or certain places. It's like, yeah, I lived there for a while, but I don't even remember what that was like. I don't remember the names of the streets or anything anymore. Well, that's what's going to be in this new world, this new realm, this eternal state. The day of God is when the eternal realm begins. Secondly, the day of God should move you to live holy and godly lives. So this is what Peter is saying in verse 11. Since all these things, the old heavens and earth, they're going to be dissolved. Yeah? They're going to be gone. right? And we're heading to the day of God, this whole eternal realm. Then verse 11, he says, What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? So since we're heading that way, we're heading to this whole new world, a whole new world. Um, anyway, what sort of people should we be? We should be ones whose lives reflect where we're heading to. That's what it should be about. Holiness, when Peter talks about, you know what, it, it refers to your actions. Godliness speaks about your attitude. 1 Peter 1.15, remember he talked about when we studied that, that we should be holy as God is holy. Our actions should be holy. How we live should be holy. It should reflect that we are people of God. 2 Peter 1.7, he lists godliness, our character, how we should be in that way. We should, we should hold this reverence, our attitude of reverence to the Lord, of, of devotion to God. That's the attitude, that's the idea with holiness and godliness. We've been saved for what the future holds. And that's the day of God. 
So if this is our future, then we need to live today in consistent with that destiny. What sort of people we ought to be? Well, people whose heart and behavior live for the glory to come. And that's in contrast to this world. That's in contrast in how people live in this world. That's the idea here. By the way, the original Greek uh, here for holiness and for godliness is actually written in the plural. So uh, commentators are saying, well, you can't really translate it like in the English, but it means that holiness and godliness, and what Peter's talking about, should be spread over every area of our life. It should permeate our life. It should be in every part of us, in our actions, what's in our minds, what decisions we make, what's in our heart, what's in our motive, what what our passions are, what our motives and desires are. It should be holiness and godliness. Sometimes we can compartmentalize things, right? We compartmentalize our life. Like, well, this part of my life is for God, but this is for me. Oh, this part, I'm going to try and live right, but this part, ah, it's okay. I can let it slide and compromise here. Some people do it in this way, like, oh, well, Sunday's for God. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to worship. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be real good on Sunday. Oh, and the holidays like Easter and Christmas and, you know, all that, right? Easter week and everything. But after that, after Sunday, well, that, the rest of the week is for me and I could do and live any way I want. But holiness should be spread over every area of our life. Holiness should rule your behavior. Holiness should or, uh, rule your behavior and godliness should rule your heart. Jesus is Lord. Is he Lord of your life? Is he Lord of you? I believe God has been calling us lately, hasn't he, in the past weeks, whether it's Wednesday night or, or on Sundays here. He's been drawing us to raise the bar in how we live our life and, and be more dedicated. He's been calling us to be more committed, more surrendered to him purifying our hearts, purifying our motives, purifying our minds. At our men's fellowship, we talked about denying ourselves, taking up the cross. And I just heard that call again from the Lord, like, hey, we need to stop living for self, but live for God now. We need to be willing to suffer for the Lord and not always hold to our own convenience. Not always doing what I want, what my body wants, what my mind thinks, but wholly giving everything over, right? As a sacrifice to God, a living sacrifice, like Romans 12 says, to the Lord. I think God is calling us right now. With this future that is coming, it's coming for sure. We don't know when, but it's coming. So shouldn't this day be lived for that future? Shouldn't we live in consistency to our destiny as believers? And that's what Peter is saying here. So the day of God is when the eternal realm begins. The day of God should move you to live holy and godly lives. And number three, the day of God should be the longing desire of your heart. The day of God should be the longing desire of your heart. Look at verse 12. Waiting and, and hastening the coming of the day of God. We're, we're waiting for that eternal world, that new world. We're, we're re- waiting for that eternal life with God. To be in that eternal state with our glorified bodies. Waiting here speaks of expectation. Waiting here speaks of looking forward to being with God, to living in that eternal life. Waiting is, uh, uh, is sometimes I say looking. We're looking for that day. Our eyes are set on that. Our eyes are set on eternity. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of sin. 
I'm tired of my flesh. I'm battling it. We battle that every day. But in faith, because of our faith, we show God, you know what, I love you and I live for you, so I'm going to make a choice to battle and say no to my flesh and yes to the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. But, but we get weary. We get weary. We're tired of the sin and flesh. I'm, I'm, I'm sick of the devil, right? And his attacks, his oppression, and what he's doing. I, I yearn for the day when I could be with God. And all that is done with. I yearn for the day also that, you know, that God is no longer treated in such a bad way. Yeah? That his word is honored. That, that is, I long for that day. I mean, today his word is just stomped on and thrown to the side and say, it's not true. And good is said to be evil, and evil is said to be good today. I yearn for that day where God will, will be glorified as he should be, our Lord, our creator. I yearn for that day when we're going we're to be with him. You know, when we worship, I, I just love to feel his presence and the Holy Spirit here. And there's those moments, right, where, where you're just so touched. You know, I'm like, God, I just want to stay here. <laughs> I don't want to go anywhere else. You're, you're crying, not because you're sad. You're just, because God's here. You're just so touched in that way. Well, think about that 24 hours a day. Well, eternity, all the time, right? It's not just when you're in church or when you, when you have those special times of prayer at home. Think about that. It also says waiting for and hastening the coming day of God. Hastening means like desiring, greatly yearning for. It, 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 it means you long for God and that time to be with Him. You, you, it's like, you hurry God, hurry, hurry, bring it here, bring it. And it's like you're praying that. You, you come to church to tell God that. You come to church just to be with Him because you're hastening that. You, you want that. You're desiring it. You're longing. You're earning. Notice here. Peter does not write that word, we long for the day of the Lord. No, it's not that. We, we don't want that for anybody. But we do long for the day of God when we're with Jesus. This is what Paul wrote. Maranatha, right? Come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Our desire really ultimately is with, to be with Jesus. Do you love Jesus that much? Don't you desire that? Isn't it great to pray and be in the Word and be, sit with Jesus? Isn't it great to worship and be with Jesus? Isn't it great to study His Word and know that Jesus is speaking to us here? Not me, but, you know, through the Spirit. Isn't that great? That's what we desire. That's what eternal life really is about. William Plummer, one of my favorite quotes of him is, he said this, Without God, heaven would be no heaven. It's so true. It's not just about the glory and no more pain and sorrow. Not, not, you know, like, oh, it's going to be beautiful there. Oh, no more problems. No more, yeah, it's not, not just that. We were talking the other day, like, um, what we're going to eat in heaven. Because sometimes when I, someone cooks me something or I go to a restaurant, it's like, oh, I'm in heaven. It's so good, right? It's like, hmm, oh, I'm in heaven. Then we're talking about, well, what are we going to eat in heaven? I don't know, but I'm sure it's going to be good. There's the marriage supper of the Lamb, right, it talks about. I'm sure we're going to eat. You know what's the great thing is? We're going to eat, and I think we're not going to uh, uh, gain weight. <laughs> we don't have to eat to survive. I think, I think we're just going to enjoy food like I enjoy food right now. Yeah. But that's not what heaven is all about, right? It's about Jesus. It's about being with him. Paul said, set your mind on things above, not below, not the earth, Colossians 3. Paul said that in Philippians 3, 20, right, we are, our citizenship is where? In heaven. That's where we really belong. That's, that's our country. That's our home. We're just foreigners here in this world because we're people of God. Jesus has saved us and changed us and, and we're headed home. That's our, 
That's our destination. That's our destiny. And we should long for that. So if we long for that, shouldn't we live for our future destiny? Some of us live like this is all that we have here. And we put everything into here right now. But we need to live for what is in our future. We need to be those people. Listen, understand this life here is not everything. There is a future for believers, this eternal world. So let's live like that. When Queen Elizabeth was a little girl, she threw this tantrum. Her nanny said, do you know who you are? Queen Elizabeth said, sure, I'm Elizabeth. No, scolded her nanny. You are the heir apparent to the throne of the British Empire and the future queen of England. To that, this little girl, and I like this because it seems her character, she said, in that case, I had better dry these tears and act like the queen. What are we acting like? What are we living like? Are we throwing our tantrums? Immature spiritually? Trying to get our way? Upset because we didn't get our way? That things didn't turn out like we wanted? I'm not saying that people, you know, aren't perfect. And yeah, their choices affect us, all of that. But do we trust God in all of these things? Do we really trust Him? And live like, no, he's in control. I get this future with him. Do we live like we're citizens of heaven? That this world is not our home. What are we living for right now? I'll tell you, more and more as these weeks have been going by, God's been stirring my heart. I want to live for eternity, yeah? I want to live for those things. Lay up my treasures in heaven, not on the earth. I want those things to capture my heart and I want those things to be more a part of what I think about and and, and what I pray for and what I desire. I want Jesus. I want more of Him. So what the future holds? The day of the Lord. Number two, the day of God. Finally, number three, we come to verse 13 and we see the day of righteousness. What the future holds, number three, the day of righteousness. Look at verse 13. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Okay, so according to the promise of God, according to his promise, what we know, what the future is bringing, what the prophecies say, what God said is coming, right? We know that in his word that we are waiting, we are expecting this new heaven and a new earth. Now, new here speaks of new in quality, and, but it also speaks of something new like unlike anything previously known. So the new heaven and earth is going to be completely different from this time-based world. It's, it's going to be totally different. The eternal will be completely different from this world as we know it today. You know, the Bible began with God making creation, and it ends, really, the Bible ends with God making something completely new, a new heavens and earth. I was thinking the millennium, those thousand years, like a little renovation that goes on. But when the millennium ends, he's going to destroy that house, you know, like, like, like go ahead and, and, and just demolish, like say the house and the land even in it, and then rebuild something brand new, never before seen. And here's a peek into it in Isaiah 16, verse 19. It says, you know what? There's no moon. There's no sun. The Lord is the light. And that's hard to conceive in our minds in the world because we live in this world. But in eternity, it's going to be like that. Something totally, totally different. And this new eternal world, you know, it's going to be perfect. It's going to be pure. 
Because this world is where, verse 13, in which righteousness dwells. Dwell means to settle down, to be at home with. Righteousness will have a permanent, perfect existence there in the new heavens and the new earth. And that's so great. It's so great. No more sin, right? A new world with no sin, no flesh, no hate, no injustice, no war, no lying, no selfishness, no hurtful words or hurtful actions. Be gone. There'll be no need for authorities and police and courts and things like that. There'll be no need for that. No need for military. Uh, no, no need for armies. There's no evil. Can you imagine a world with no evil? No wickedness. No people doing power plays and manipulating each other. No people just greedy for money. Nothing like that. No. Best thing no Satan, no demon, yeah? No demons, they're, they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. Yeah? Done with, no more. Where righteousness dwells, where everything is pure and perfect and what is right, that's what's going to be existing there. Finally, there's going to be a perfect world. I mean, people desire that today, right? A utopia, We've got to get along. We've got to have peace in the world where everyone is equal. Everyone has food to eat. Everyone can enjoy their lives. It's never going to happen, but it will happen in this world. A perfect world, a perfect life. This is the land of glory we sing about, right? This is that land of glory, this life with God. A.W. Pink said, one breath of paradise will extinguish all the adverse winds of earth. I like that. Because it made me think about, we take that breath, if we have breath, in paradise, in this new world, new earth. It's going to be, wow. It's going to be so different, so pure, so wonderful. You guys, this is our hope. Don't we hope for this? Don't we hope for it in our lives? We hope for individually that our life would be so good, so perfect, that our kids would be good, that that we hope for peace in our lives. We hope for love and joy and, and smooth sailing. We hope for those things in our life. But in this world, in this fallen world, it, 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 it's hard, right? Wouldn't it be sad if this world is all that there is? That this cycle of sin and wrong and wickedness and pain, suffering would just go on and on and on and on and never end? Wouldn't it be sad if what the scoffers were saying, hey, uh, and remember in verse 4, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. What hope is that? How sad is that? I, I, oh, I'd be depressed, discouraged all the time. But we have the hope of this eternal realm, this new world. And then when the, that day of righteousness, this day of righteousness is the new world totally free from the fallenness, you guys. Remember, we, we did that series, yeah? When tragedy strikes a fallen world. We, we did that four-week series after the fires in Lahaina to answer these questions. And we, every week I said, we live in this fallen world. That's why we live in this fallen world. Why is there pain and suffering? We live in this fallen world, right? God didn't do this. We live in a fallen world. People's choices, the, the, the laws of nature are, are cursed still too, right? We live in this fallen world. Well, the day of righteousness is the new world. Righteousness is the new world totally free from the fallenness. Turn over to Revelation chapter 21. We get a glimpse of this. Revelation 21 verses 1 through 5. And we'll read this. And we, we get a glimpse of this new heaven, this new earth, what it's going to be like. And we talk about this. We look at this. We've read this. We study Revelation. And we study this. But do you remember this? In Revelation 21 verse 1, John's writing here. Then I saw a new heaven. And a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. So John is even talking about, 
where the old earth is gone. It's been burned up. It's gone. And now God has created this whole new heaven and earth, this whole new realm. And in this whole new realm, there's no more sea. You know what that means? It's not like water-based anymore, like our world here. There's no need for liquid water, H2O, for life to survive. Yeah? No need anymore. This is a whole different kind of thing because it's eternal. This is all nothing like before, new in that sense. So John's describing the same thing that Peter talked about. Verse 2, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so here's the new Jerusalem. Here's the new place, the many mansions that Jesus talked about in John 14. That This is our home. And it comes down. Uh, uh, from heaven, from God as a prepared bride. The believers are there adorned for her husband. We're going to be living there. That's our place. That's where we live. Verse 3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them as their God. So with our glorified bodies, we can dwell with God. We can be at home. We can live with God eternally and be right there in the New Jerusalem with God, side by side. He's going to be right there. And then verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Amen, right? This is where righteousness dwells. This is the perfect world, the perfect life. No more of that suffering and pain and sin. No more of that. No more division. No more dissension like we're talking about Wednesday. None of that. None of that. And then verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So you see, the day of righteousness is the new world totally free from the fallenness. This is our destiny. This is our future, you guys. See, the day of man ends when the day of the Lord comes. The day of God begins after that judgment rids evil sin and Satan. And the day of righteousness never will end because this is our future. Do you want to know your destiny? Do you want to know where, where, it all, where you end up? you want to know your future? It's right here, right where we're studying. This is heaven. This is eternal life. This is, as believers in Christ and those who have been saved and atoned for their sins, this is where we're going to be, you guys. And remember, it's Christ's work on the cross that gets you there. That it's our, our faith in what Christ has done. That by grace through faith we're saved. We're going to be there. This is the assurance this is salvation. This is our life in eternity. This is the future. I heard about this ambitious college student who was talking story with his wise old uncle. And the uncle asked, tell me, what do you plan to do after you graduate college? Well, said the nephew, I'm going to get my career going right away and get established. The uncle said, that's great. What then? Oh, the nephew said, you know what? I'm going to get married and I'll have a family. The uncle's like, wow, great, good plan. What then? Well, the young man said, well, I'm going to work hard, build my wealth, and then retire comfortably. The uncle said, great preparation, great thinking there. What then? The nephew said, well, I guess after the kids are grown and move out, I'll sell the house, buy a house in the country, and live out there the rest of my life. The uncle said, sounds nice. And what then? The nephew said, oh, well, then I guess one day I'll die. And the uncle said, yes, we all do. And what then? 
Well, with that, the young man went silent, soaking in and wondering, what is going to happen then? What is his future after that? How about you today? Peter is, is giving this destiny of the world and the destiny for believers. But maybe you need to be asked that question. What then? Beloved of God, are you not wondering about your future? We should. Charles Kettering said, we should all be concerned about the future because we will have to spend the rest of our lives there. <laughs> I like that one. God is giving us a glimpse of it today. And with that, he's calling us to be aware. Jesus is coming soon. And he's saying, are you prepared? Are you prepared for that? Are you prepared for what's coming, for your destiny? I'll close with this. The church was packed and the preacher began to hit a fever pitch as he began to talk about the second coming of Christ. He began to quote Jesus' promise. I am coming soon. I am coming soon. He spoke more about Jesus' return and his voice got even louder. You know, his, he got his cadence going. Yeah? And he's got his cadence going and he said, I am coming soon. I'm coming soon. And then... At the third time, he was really hitting it. He hitting a fever pitch, and he just got to the edge of the stage, and he said, I am coming soon. And with that, he lost his balance. At the end of the stage, he fell right off, right off the stage into the lap of a man in the first row. The preacher immediately told him, Oh, I'm so sorry, sir. And the man said, Oh, that's okay. You did warn me three times. <laughs> I like that. But how many times... Does God need to speak to us for us to get serious, to change our lives, to turn from sin, to really live in holiness and godliness? Where are you today? Maybe you don't even know Christ. Maybe you come in here, you don't know Christ. Maybe you're online. Turn your heart to Jesus right now. Accept him in his heart. Pray to him. Ask for forgiveness. Believe in what he did on the cross. Give him your life and you will be saved. Jesus is coming soon. And let me say, that's only the beginning of what the future holds. Let's pray. God, and as we close up here, Lord, you've been just giving us a little peek into what the future holds. We see through your word that there's a day of the Lord and a day of God, and then in that day of God is when righteousness Lord, will rule and reign. Oh, God, we look forward to that day. We look forward to a new world, a new heavens, Lord. Our eternal life with you, God. Bliss, glory, whatever we want to call it. But most of all, we look forward to being with you. I pray, God, that if, our, if anyone here, if their heart's been hard toward you, they, they would soften their heart toward you, that they would, they would humble themselves and realize how far they had left their first love and that they would come back to you today, God. Lord, I pray for anyone who's never given their life over to you that this will be the day of salvation. God, that they would find you right now, that they would, with tears, go to you in faith and ask that, God, that you would come into their life, that you forgive them of their sins, Lord, that they would believe in you, that they would accept you and surrender their life to you. God, may we all do that. God, we accept the truths that we read here today as fact, that this is what the future holds. This is our destiny. And with that so solid in our minds and our hearts, now, God, we understand this passage to the point that this should change our lives, that we should live differently, that we should live passionately, that we should no longer build our kingdom here on earth but lay our treasures in heaven, Lord. That we would do things, make choices, Lord, that our minds would be filled with not wasteful things but with eternal things 
things that matter, Lord, that all our efforts, Lord, would all be put toward God, your kingdom, furthering your kingdom, Lord, toward eternity and bringing others, God, to be saved and have that life of eternity. Lord, our hearts are convicted in, in, in this. Help us not to waste time, Lord. Help us to be in the spirit in this, Lord. Help us, God, to let go of those things that are holding us back, God, giving them up to you. Help us to turn from our sin, Lord, and turn to you and live this life you meant for us to live right now in preparation for tomorrow. God, we can't wait for you. Jesus, we want to be with you. could happen any moment. could happen right now as I pray, as we close with the last song. God, it could happen, Lord, just like that. So we want to be ready, Lord. Make us ready, God. Forgive us, cleanse us, and set within us your Holy Spirit to live our lives for you. In Jesus' name, amen.